0: If you're not already there, turn to Psalms chapter 150, please. Psalms 150. There were two farmers. Uh, one was an optimist and the other was a pessimist. Clinton, which one are you? You've been both? <laughs> to the, I don't even know anymore. Farmers in southwest Kansas, I don't know what I am. The optimist would say, wonderful sunshine. The pessimist would respond, I think it's going to scorch the crops. The optimist would say, fine rain. The pessimist would come back with, I'm afraid it may turn into a flood. One day that same optimist said to the pessimist, have you seen my new bird dog? Man, he's really something. The pessimist said, you mean that old mutt you got tied up behind the house? He ain't worth a cent. The optimist said, well, let's go hunting then. So they went out and shot some ducks, and the ducks landed on the pond. And The optimist ordered his dog to go get the ducks, and the dog obediently responded, but he didn't swim to the ducks. He walked on top of the water to retrieve the ducks. And then he walked back on top of the water, and the optimist was beaming with pride as he said to the pessimist, now what do you think of that? And the pessimist replied, can't swim, can he? you ever been around someone like that a gloomy negative person who always sees the dark side of things the glass is not half full it's half empty if you propose a plan the pessimist points out 47 reasons for why it won't work let's be honest maybe you're wrestling with that tendency yourself today Somewhere along the way, you've picked up a negative, pessimistic mindset toward life. I, I want to try to help you today because Thanksgiving is coming up. And the last person around the table that should be negative and pessimistic on Thanksgiving is a Christian. Amen. Out of all people to have a reason to be positive, it's those whose hope has been placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then what's the answer for this problem Of pessimism. Well, Norman Vincent Peale would tell us the answer is the positive of power, the power of positive thinking. But there's a fatal flaw in Peale's approach. It leaves God out. The power of positive thinking is what I believe a man centered mental approach that works for anyone, including the Zen Buddhist or the atheist. The kind of humanistic approach that encourages us to simply look on the bright side. And you should learn to look on the bright side. And you should learn to think positively. But if all you approach life with is from this man-centered mental exercise, that's not adequate. The biblical solution to the problem of pessimism is to be centered on God. God-centered thinking. To, to be God-centered doesn't mean that we deny problems or, or we put on rose-colored glasses But it does mean that we view problems in all of life from God's perspective. And that helps us to stay positive. Here's what I would say. Praise is the solution to pessimism. Pessimism. Praise is the solution to pessimism. And that's what this psalm is all about today. In fact, I want you to look at the very first line of Psalm 150. What does it say? Praise ye the Lord. Drop down to the very last line of Psalm 150. You need to bring your Bible to church. This would help you. The last line of Psalms 150. Praise ye the Lord. So, so look, the, the chapter has bookends. And those bookends gives us the subject that is at hand today. And that's simply praising the Lord. This phrase is actually made up of two words in Hebrew. Halah. You might recognize that from our word Hallelujah. Which means to praise or boast and then y'all, Y-A-W, the shortened form of Jehovah or Yahweh, the proper noun for the one true God. Joined together, this translation, the translation could be this, hallelujah, or praise the Lord. In fact, Psalms 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 all begin and conclude with this command to praise the Lord. But the imperative of praise is most emphatic in this closing psalm where we're commanded to praise God 13 times in 6 short verses. It's like we get to the final chapter of psalms and the conductor brings in each section of the orchestra, every instrument. And he unites them with every voice of the choir in one grand finale of praise. Psalm 150 then is what I believe is the crescendo to the entire book of psalms. In between the two bookends of the chapter, we're given this clear and simple, straightforward outline that instructs us regarding this idea of praising the Lord. We're giving these interrogatives for praise. We're, 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 we're told where we should praise God. We're taught why we should praise God. We read about how we should praise God. And we're instructed about who should praise God. That's our outline. That's what we're going to study today. So let's dive in. The where of praise. Number one, the where of praise. We should praise God everywhere. That's what the psalmist says in verse one. He set, he starts by saying this, praise God in his sanctuary, sanctuary. The noun sanctuary denotes apartness or holiness or sacredness. It, it refers to the holy presence of God that dwelt in the meeting place. The Jews viewed the temple As the earthly place of communion with God. That was his sanctuary. So the psalm commands that God be worshipped there. In the corporate gathering. In his sanctuary. Now obviously as New Testament believers we don't rely on a physical temple to experience the presence of God anymore. Hallelujah for that. We are the temple of God. The presence of God rests and resides in us through the spirit if you are in Christ. However we're still commanded to assemble together for the purpose of praising God. And while this house at 310 Pancake doesn't mean today what it meant to the Jews who would have read this psalm originally, there's still a principle of coming together as God's people corporately for the purpose of giving God thanks. The Apostle Paul tells us, come together. And when you come together... Teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He says the church ought to make melodies in their hearts to the Lord. The apostle Peter said that the church is a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people whose purpose is to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If there's anywhere God ought to be praised, it's right here at church. It's in our house of worship. It's in this sanctuary. Hear me. You can praise God right here through singing. And we just did. You can praise God through playing an instrument at church. And that's what our band's doing. They aren't just helping us praise God through singing. They're praising God through the stringed instruments or through the percussion instruments. You can praise God through testifying of his goodness at church. You can praise God through encouraging a fellow believer at church. You can praise God through praying at church. You can praise God through giving at church. You can praise God through serving at church. You can praise God through clapping and lifting up your hands to the Lord at church. The point is that you come to church to praise the Lord. And there are endless opportunities to do so every time you come. You'll never come to the sanctuary and say, you know what? I just couldn't get into praise today. It would be because you chose not to. But notice where else we should praise God. Look at the second part of verse 1. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. What's the firmament? Well, according to Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8, the heavens or the firmament was created on the second day of creation to to separate the waters from above uh, above the earth from the waters below the earth. You drop down to verses 14 through 19 and it tells us that on the fourth day of creation, God placed lights in the heavens to divide divide the day from the night and to give light to the earth. So the heavens or the firmament is the expanse of space where the sun and the moon and the stars dwell. So God's not only to be praised in his sanctuary, he's to be praised in the heavens. In other words, God is to be praised in all of his creation. Literally, God is to be praised everywhere. Write this down. There's no place where praise is out of place. If you're a believer, there's no place where praise is out of place. The psalmist is saying this. Praise God in earth, on earth, and praise him in heaven. Praise him locally and praise him universally. Praise God in church and praise God out of church. Wherever you are, praise ye the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15 puts it this way. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That word continually literally means through it all. We're to praise God through it all. No matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. But let's be honest, that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? For some of you, based on the place in which you are right now, Praise sounds a little bit strange. I think in Psalms 137, it's a song of lament by the Jews who were conquered and captured by the Babylonians. They had sat down, the psalmist says, by the Euphrates River. They hung their musical instruments on the tree and they wept. Go read it. They, they wept. They cried. They were lamenting. When their enemies, the Babylonians, saw them, they mocked them. They taunted them to sing songs of Praise. And the Jews responded by asking a question. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? In other words, hey, we're not in a place right now where we can praise God. And sometimes that's our answer for why we're not praising God. We say, man, how am I supposed to praise God when I'm going through this? How am I supposed to praise God in this terrible place of my life right now? We we, we feel like praise is strange based on what we're going through or where we're currently at. But here's what we have to understand as believers. No land is strange land to God. No matter where we find ourselves in life, even the strange and dark places of life, God is there with us. God delights in our praise, whether it's a celebratory praise or whether it's a grieving praise. God knows where you are. He's with you where you are. And he wants to hear you sing wherever you are. Noah praised God in an ark made out of gopher wood. Abraham praised God on a mountain. Moses praised God on the backside of a desert. Job praised God on a heap of ashes. David praised God in a cave. Solomon praised God in a temple. Daniel praised God in the lion's den. The three Hebrew boys praised God in a fiery furnace. Jonah praised God in the belly of a whale. Paul and Silas praised God in a prison. John praised God all by himself on an island. That means wherever we're at today and whatever we're going through, we can praise the Lord too. You can praise the Lord on a hospital bed. You can praise the Lord in a courtroom. You can praise the Lord in a funeral home. You can praise God in a difficult marriage. You can praise Him in a toxic environment. You can praise Him in an imperfect church. You can praise God in a dysfunctional family around the table on Thanksgiving Day. You can even praise God when you're stopped at a train for 30 minutes in Liberal, Kansas. That's preaching. Get it fixed, Nathan. Get it fixed. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, And whatever you're going through, (laughs) praise ye the Lord. When your pastor calls you out in public, praise ye. No, don't walk out. Praise ye the Lord. For those on live stream, we're just joking, I promise. That's the where of praise. You can't make this stuff up. Let's talk about the why of praise. We should praise God for every act and every attribute. Verse two, praise him for his mighty acts. Consider this. The end of verse one just described the heavens or the firmament above as being powerful and and mighty. And wouldn't you agree that that the stars and and the sun and the moons, the planets, they're they're pretty powerful display of, uh, of God's creative abilities, right? Psalms 19 verse one, if you were to go study, it says that the heavens show his handiwork. Think about that. The fact that hanging the sun and the moon and stars and keeping them from causing us to melt was just handiwork to God. Kind of like some of y'all can just do something with your hands, like make a bench or a chair at the house or fix something. It's just handiwork to you. Well, creating the planets is just handiwork to God. That demonstrates how mighty he is. In other words, when you look up, praise God. But verse two says... We ought to praise him for his mighty acts, which means that we should also praise God when we look around. There are mighty acts of God all around us that we should take notice of and praise him for today. Now, the Old Testament Jews who would have read these words would would immediately think of God's deliverance and his his provisions and his faithfulness to the nation of Israel. And if you know the Old Testament, you know God dealt with them in great mercy and great kindness, manna and, and, and water from a gushing rock and and parting the Red Sea and then closing it on their enemies. I mean, God was amazing. That's what would have come to their mind. But as, as Christians today, we've got to learn how to read the Old Testament text with New Testament eyes. So when we read of the mighty acts of God, we, should immediately, we can think of all kinds of things to praise Him for today. I want to hone in on one. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about His virgin birth. His virtuous life, his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection, his soon-to-come visible return. The mighty acts of God through Jesus ought to be the forefront of our praise. I know you're thankful you got a good spouse, and I know you're thankful you got good parents, and I know you're thankful you got healthy kids, and I know you're thankful that that you can breathe and walk and have your capacity today, and I know you're thankful you got a good job. Those are almighty acts of God, but none more mighty than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul begins the book of Ephesians with a loud song of praise, a doxology for everything we've been given in Christ. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And we know that he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is who? Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why should we praise God? Because of everything He's given us today through His Son. Think about it. Jesus stood before God with all our sin upon Him so that we, through faith, might stand before God with none of our sin on us. Jesus, who was righteous, was judged before God as unrighteous. So that we who are unrighteous could be judged before God as righteous. At Calvary, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. Because we owed a debt that we could not pay. That's why the songwriter said, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. That's why we come back at 6 o'clock tonight. For the Lord's Supper. We're going to have an opportunity. If you're a believer and a member of Fellowship Baptist Church. You ought to come back. To partake in this holy ordinance. Which by the way is just as important as baptism is. Neither one of them get us to heaven, but what they symbolize is so healthy for the church. We're going to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. I want to encourage you, be here by 545. I mean that. Have your kids sit with you. If your kids um, aren't able to, to, to maybe behave in, in a formal service like that, find them daycare or bring them here. We hired out daycare for tonight. Um, you can drop them off at daycare. Come in here. Piano will be playing softly. We can reflect. We can pray. You can read Scripture. I hope you're reading Romans 8 throughout the week as we're going to go through that tonight. We're going to sing like nine or ten songs. If you felt tired this morning, well, buckle up, take a nap, drink some water. We're going to praise God with everything we have tonight. We're going to take the bread, we're going to take the juice. All the pastors will lead in scripture reading through Romans 8 and corporate prayer together. It's just going to be a sweet, sweet time. And, and I think it's just an appropriate, it's appropriate to apply it this way because we are to praise him for his mighty acts. And the mightiest act ever was Jesus dying on the cross, but not staying dead. It's amazing. Come, come back tonight. I think it'll be a blessing. He gives us a second reason for why we should praise God. into verse 2. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. You know what that means? Praise him according to who he is. His amazing attributes. Watch here. This is independent of his mighty acts. God deserves praise simply because of who he is. If he never did another thing for you, he would still be just as worthy of your praise. In the third century, the office of Antioch wrote, for in glory he is incomprehensible. In greatness unfathomable in height, inconceivable, in power, incomparable, in wisdom, unrivaled, in kindness, unutterable. I could have never written those things. I don't know how to spell half of them. But tell me that doesn't describe God in a glorious way. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. John 10, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me watch is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. 1 John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is He that is in you. Then he that is in the world. Our God is a great God today. He's greater than your problems. And He's greater than your enemies. And He's greater than your sickness. And He's greater than your needs. And He's greater than your desires. And He's greater than your hurts. And He's greater than your stress. And He's greater than your frustration. He's excellent in His greatness. And we ought to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. That is, praise Him in agreement with, praise Him to the degree of, praise Him in proportion to His greatness. I wonder if a camera were to pan in on you during the entire worship service today, singing, preaching, praying, and giving. Would it be said of you that your praise is in proportion to God's greatness? By the way, you participate in the singing. By the way, you're participating in the preaching. By the way, you've participated so far in the prayer. By the way, you're going to participate in the giving. If we put all of heaven's attention on you, would it demonstrate that you really believe God is excellent in his greatness? If we were to follow you back home today, how is your praise there? Is it in proportion to and in agreement with the greatness of God? Or is that just a church thing to you? Do you leave your praise here? How about at work? Do you work with all your heart as unto the Lord? Does your work ethic and your attitude at work reflect the greatness of God in your life? Remember, God wants to be praised everywhere. We should praise God for every act and every attribute. That's the why of praise. That flows into the next point. The how of praise. We should praise God with everything we have. Now y'all don't duane on me. You getting tired? I'm the one doing all the work. Don't duane on me. Read verses 3 through 5. Look at this list. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise upon the high sounding cymbals. So, God lists these musical instruments from winds to strings to percussions as a way of commanding us to give Him total praise. We should praise Him by all means our minds, our bodies, our voices, our talents, our emotions. Our wills, all that we are and all that we have should be fully offered to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise. It's important to understand that the point of the text is not found in the musical instruments themselves, but in the implications of them. In mentioning everything from a shepherd's horn to loud clanging cymbals, God is ordering worship that is joyous and worship that is uninhibited. And worship that is wholehearted. See, the reason the early church chose to start worshiping corporately on Sunday, what we call the Lord's Day, is because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. Now, they assembled more days than on Sunday. But they never missed Sunday because they wanted to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. That's why they greeted one another at church with these words, Christ is risen. And we assemble on the Lord's day for the same purpose. We are not at Jesus' funeral today. On Sunday, we're joyfully celebrating the fact that he is alive. As easily distracted people and overly burdened people and unnecessarily busy people, we have to work hard at fighting off the sin of apathy, especially in our praise to God. We have to engage our whole being in the process of praise because that's what God deserves. That doesn't mean, now listen closely, it doesn't mean there's never a time to be quiet in our praise or to be reflective in our praise or to be still in our praise and even to lament and grieve in the process of praise. The book of Psalms shows us the the process of praise doesn't just include being loud. And celebrating, there's a time to be honest with God in Psalms. There's a time to complain to God in Psalms. There's a time to grieve to to God in Psalms. There's there's a time to be still and know that I am God. 70% of the Psalms include sorrow and grief and sadness. But Psalm 150 teaches us this. Believers shouldn't stay there. Lamenting is appropriate and it's necessary, but eventually praise should come out of sorrow. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Our praise should eventually reach a Psalm 150 crescendo where all the instruments are engaged and all the voices are singing and all the hands are clapping and all the arms are being lifted up to the Lord. A moment corporately together and a moment individually where where we're praising God with every single thing we have but in an effort to stay balanced in our praise i need to make an important observation you'll notice a conjunction in verses three through five it's mentioned six times in the three verses it introduces the instruments it's the word with here's what's so important the conjunction shows us that the instruments aren't really the end of praise in and of themselves Some of you that really like our drums were hoping that I would would get on this and say, See there, if you're mad that we have drums, get over it. Well, that's not the point. Some of you that really want to dance in church. You wanted me to get on dance and say, It's okay to dance. Well, that's not the point. The point isn't in the conjunction. The point's in the pronoun. For the conjunction, praise Him. 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 Him is referring to God. He's the main point of our praise. Not which instruments we use and which ones we don't choose to use. Not what songs we sing and what songs we don't sing. Not our style. Not our preferences. Not our emotions. God is the object of our worship. If we're not careful, our thoughts about praise and worship can become so irreverent and man-centered and narcissistic and unbiblical, and I'll say it, outright sinful... But genuine praise and worship seeks to exalt the unequaled greatness of God rather than meet our own needs or satisfy our own taste or accomplish our own agenda or make ourselves look or feel really good in the moment. Praise should make you feel good eventually, but it is not the end goal. Praise is for God. Everything we do in praise should be for him and unto him. If we become the center of our praise and if what we do in praise points others to us instead of to God himself, we have missed the point of praise entirely. Yes, give God everything you can in praise. Do not appear as though you're at a funeral grieving and mourning and lamenting. Praise God with everything you have, but make sure it's him you're praising. Make sure your praise is centered on the person of God. We sing a lot of awesome songs around here. But they're not sung to make you feel better because you're having a bad week. Sometimes that's just the byproduct, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is that they are a means to a greater end than us. They're a means to give God the praise that he alone is worthy of. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So when a a song comes on and you hear the introduction and you recognize, yes, I love when we sing this song. Why? Why? Because of how it makes you feel? And you watch me as I lead worship, especially when I've been gone for two weeks. I ain't looking like I'm at a funeral. I'm feeling alive up here. I'm expressing myself. And praise to God. There's nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying, why? Why are you praising? What attribute of God did, did you think of as the, as the words were coming out of your mouth? If you center your, your praise on God, then, then, then you won't, it won't get fleshly, and it won't get carnal, and it won't get sensual, and it won't get just merely emotional. Yes, it will stir your soul. And it should stir your soul. And depending on how God made you, you'll express that in various ways with inappropriateness. But the bottom line is this. Our praise is about God and God alone. Don't think that you're going to be up in heaven praising God. And the angels are going to strike up this worship song. Oh yeah. Man, it's been six weeks since they've done this one. This is exactly what I needed right now. No, it's going to be all about God should be all about God every time we meet together. All right, I got one more point. You, got, you with me still? The who of praise. Who's to praise God? Everyone that breathes should praise God. Okay, look at verse six. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It's his breath in our lungs. That's what we sung about. So God tells us, Where we should praise him, why we should praise him, how we should praise him. Then he closes, this is interesting, he closes by giving his criteria for the praise team. He selects the choir. Here's the criteria if you're breathing, you're in. Now don't get excited. That's not the criteria for the fellowship choir. I would prefer that you're breathing. But it's also a criteria that you need to know how to sing in tune. But, but when it comes to praising the Lord, being able to carry a tune or having the talent to sing well actually isn't required. You just need to breathe. And you don't even have to have good breath to be in God's choir. He's generous, man. He allows all breathing creatures to lift up their breath, their voice to Him. Got to thinking about it, it actually makes sense that he's so generous with breathing people and breathing things because he's actually receives the praise of things that don't even breathe. Psalm 148, listen closely. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and vapors, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars. If God inhabits the praise of things that can't breathe, how much more does he delight in the praise of his crown creation who can breathe? Yet sometimes the no breath creation like the rocks and the hills and the trees can outpraise the with breath Christians. You aren't stuck in a forest somewhere waiting to be cut down in the winter time for firewood. You aren't stuck in the mountains for the rest of your existence, unable to move, only to be stepped upon by breathing people like a rock. You are people. You have breath. You have a body. You have a soul. You have a mind. You have emotions. You have a will. And that means you and me, out of all breathing things, should be praising God. Man, when I think of this idea that Everything that hath breath is praising God. My mind goes to Revelation 5 and verse 13. When on that day we'll be blessing his name for 10,000 years and forevermore. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing. And honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, he he explains the verse this way. Join all ye living things in the eternal song. Be ye least or greatest. Withhold not your praises. What a day will, will it be when all things and all places unite. To glorify the one and only living and true God. Can you picture that day in your mind? Some of the things that excite me about heaven are the things that won't be there. You know what I mean? No sickness. No pain. No disease. No family dysfunction. No adultery. No divorce. No RSV. No aging parents. No tragedies. No imperfect churches led by imperfect pastors. It excites me the things that won't be there But I really get excited when I think of what's going to be there. Brother Nick, people from every tribe and every tongue, don't let this go over your head. Let this sink in. Every tribe, every tongue, every people. Can you believe that? You know how big this world is? And we get to see our brothers and sisters that we've never met, but we've been part of the same family forever. Assembled around the throne for one purpose. To sing blessing and honor and glory to the Lamb forever and ever. Are you excited about that day? You're going to see Jesus face to face. And everything that hath breath will not have to put off their flesh and will not have to put off their temptation and will not have to battle with their worry and their anxiety and their bills and everything we wrestle with in our humanity when we come to church. We will not be divided. We will not be double minded. We will be whole. We will be praising God with everything we 1695, an Anglican bishop named Thomas Kinn penned a hymn that continues to be sung around the world every Lord's Day. He was orphaned in childhood. He was raised by his older sister, Anne. He served in the, as a chaplain to the King of England, Charles II. The words of his hymn were first published in 1709. Today we call it doxology. It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Where should we praise God? Everywhere. Why should we praise God? For everything He's done and everything He is. How should we praise God? With everything we have. And who should praise God? Everything that hath breath. Praise ye the Lord. So to close the service, we're going to do that. We're going to sing one of my favorite newer songs called The Goodness of God as our band comes and prepares. And this song just confesses in its chorus. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. So with every breath, Psalm 150, with every breath that I am able, I will sing. Of the goodness of God. Song says I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. And in darkest nights. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. And I've known you as a friend. And I have lived. In the goodness. Of God. Whether you feel like it or not. You are living. In the goodness of God. Maybe not as good as you would like it to be, but better than you deserve and better than I deserve. And so even if we're hurt today or if we're just happy today or a little bit of both, let's stand to our feet, church.